So I know that uh, not everybody's been with us these last few weeks. Um, I've been uh, kind of starting this time together uh, the same way each week. And it's been by saying this, that as I was thinking about the month of December and preparing for the holidays a couple of months ago, um, what I kept coming back to in my own mind and in my, my meditations was um, the amazing life change that I see going on around this place on a weekly basis. And I know you've heard me say that so many times, um, and maybe you've experienced it yourself, and you get a little bit of a glimpse of what it is, but it's really remarkable. And, you know, the other thing that kept coming to mind was um, this um, this reality that I get to work with um, amazing people every week um, on our staff um, who um, are giving of their experience but also their time and efforts to, to help others. And um, as I've been getting older, um, I've been looking at some of these young people, especially some of the peer supports uh, that we have and the, the dramatic change that I've seen in their life. Um, and also... Um, just kind of the exploration that some of them are having in, as to, you know, what do they want to do with their life and what is God calling them to. And, uh, you know, as they're preparing for the future, we've entered some conversations. And so this month I decided to introduce you to, uh, to some of them if you didn't know them. So um, you can go back um, on our website and you can hear Aaron from a couple of weeks ago. And Tony from last week, um, amazing messages of life transformation. And uh, today we're going to hear uh, from Claire Bullis. And uh, my hope is that um, each of them is going to be able to help us wrestle a little bit with the joy of this season, um, but also sometimes the struggles that we go through. Um, on Christmas Day, next Sunday, I'm going to be wrapping up this series, and I'm going to kind of share uh, in the same kind of manner that they have, at least to some degree. And so we're all wrestling with these questions. Uh, what were the holidays like growing up? What did they mean to you growing up? And what brought you here to this place in this time of your life? And what does this season of Christmas mean to you now? So as I mentioned, um, Claire Bullis is going to share today. I just want to say a personal thing. Um, so Aaron and Tony, who you've met, I've, I've worked with now for, for a while, and I've gotten to know in the last uh, couple of years. Um, Claire, I have known her whole life. Um, literally, she was um, a twin and born prematurely, and I visited her in the NICU in the hospital. Um, so it has been um, a joy to kind of watch Claire um, grow and to come here and uh, serve in the, the role that she, that she serves um, has been quite a joy. I want to um, say that um, as you hear Claire, um, I want you to know that, that um, one of the things that um, I've been so amazed by in this church um, is the, the hurts, habits, and hang-ups that people come to this place with. And um, it's not just drug and alcohol addiction, believe me. In fact, I would say the more prominent thing in our church is mental health issues. And that, that can take many forms. And um, one, of the, one of the things that um, I think Claire brings to 
uh, not just our staff, but to this conversation we're having about Christmas, um, is that she shows us um, that if you are struggling with something other than drugs or alcohol, uh, that God can do for you what he has done for many of us with drugs and alcohol. And the same power and healing um, grace that God gives um, is available to all people. So um, I, uh, I want to thank her for sharing. Uh, she didn't hesitate when I asked, uh, but she has a hard story to tell. So I wanted to kind of give you a heads up about that. Um, and uh, afterwards, we're just going to talk for a moment. Um, and those of you who are watching online today or this coming week, um, we want you to know uh, that there is help for mental health issues available. And um, we are one place of many that you can turn to for such things. So um, come on up, Claire. Um, everybody, welcome Claire and thank her for coming up and sharing. So just so I didn't say this for service because I didn't know what you're going to share for sure. Um, just just to make sure that in case there's anybody wondering if we are breaking child labor laws. <laughs> By having Claire on her staff. She's older than she looks. She's 23. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. <laughs> My name is Claire. I'm a peer support specialist here at Lighthouse, and I also get the great opportunity to work with the children's and youth ministry. Looking back on how the holidays were spent as a child brings back a plethora of wholesome memories. Preparation for Christmas often began the day following Thanksgiving when the bins of decorations passed down from generations prior were brought down from the attic and the disputes about what color tree to get ensued. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, choir concerts, piano recitals, holiday parties, baking days, and shopping for gifts filled the evenings. Traditionally, Christmas Eve was spent with my immediate family and my nana. The day was often filled with anticipation of the evening festivities. While my mother um, would spend hours cooking a well-planned and executed meal, my father could often be found wrapping last-minute gifts and being politely told to leave the kitchen. <laughs> my favorite, or um, um, we would all get dressed up for the Christmas Eve church service and attend together as a family. My favorite part was when Silent Night was played in the dimly lit sanctuary and when everyone got a candle and sang together. After church, we were allowed to change back into our comfortable clothes, but only after pictures were taken in front of the tree. My family would gather around the dinner table um, to say a prayer before enjoying the meal. I remember a few years when my dad would say the German prayer he was taught as a child. My brother, sister, and I would glance at each other, all equally confused and not quite sure whether he actually knew what he was saying. After the fancy, only used on special occasion, not dishwasher safe dishes had been washed, we could finally open presents. <laughs> to end the night, we once again gathered at the table for cranberry cake, a tradition that had been started by my great-grandmother years before I was born. The joy of the season continued into Christmas Day, starting off with the exciting discovery that Santa had come during the night, followed by spending time with my cousins, aunts, and uncles at my grandma Bullis's house. She was a remarkable woman who always made sure everyone felt loved and cared for. 
The end of Christmas Day was always a little bit sad, as I knew it would be a whole year before it could be celebrated again. Throughout my childhood, my faith was nurtured by my loved ones who made sure I was baptized as an infant, attended church regularly on Sundays, taught me to pray before going to sleep at night, and who answered questions when I had them. As I got a little older, I would spend years in youth group preparing for the day that I would confirm my faith. Some of my favorite memories were created on mission trips taken with the church. My faith was that simply of a child's. I believed what I had been told about Jesus and had no reason to doubt it. While Christmas brings up a plethora of wholesome memories, there are also a share of those based in pain and suffering. The holiday season means different things to many people, but often revolves around the connection with loved ones and celebratory events. It's often viewed as a time of joy, with families coming together, giving gifts to the people closest to you, and creating new traditions. One of the other things I associate with Christmas is the time shared with loved ones at the dinner table. At age 15, I went through something traumatic that changed my perception of nearly every aspect of my life for the years to follow. It's something that's still hard for me to talk about and try to heal from. Christmas time was clouded by self-isolation and feelings of fear, shame, and sadness. I felt completely alone in the world and didn't trust anyone. My desire to take back control became a motivating factor for the self-destruction that was to come. In the year following, the deep self, er, after, a little after a year, the emotional aftermath had become very noticeable to my parents who didn't understand why their once joyous, um, spirited child was disconnected from everyone, falling behind in school, and cutting herself. They took me to see a therapist in hopes that if I couldn't talk to them, maybe I would talk to her. However, my apprehension about letting anyone in led to sessions talking about how I was bad at math or other points of deflection, that is if I even said a word at all. I stopped going a few months later. In the years following, the deep self-hatred I felt festered and my inability to cope or see myself the way I had been told God views me led to further difficulties. I often looked in the mirror and hated what I saw. The only thing I could see was too much of a person who wasn't enough. My eating habits began to change and in turn my whole personality did as well. I slowly became a shell of the person I once was. The combination of depression, anxiety, and unhealed trauma that I kept hidden inside led to the development of an eating disorder. Anorexia quickly took control of my life and my depression worsened. God felt far away and I was no longer searching for him. Rather, I blamed him for the things that I was going through and pushed him and everyone out of my life. There was a wall up around me um, that kept the goodness out and trapped the darkness inside. Yet, I found comfort in it. Anorexia became my identity and I was okay with it. Losing weight, restricting how much I ate, and the initial compliments fueled my desire to go further. Starving myself was the only thing in my life that made me feel good. Finally, it seemed I had some of, as though I had something I had control over. Okay, so let's pause and do a quick, like, raise of hands for who likes to feel in control. <laughs> it's probably a good amount of us. <laughs> so, as you might guess, um, that last part turned out to be a complete and utter lie that I was just telling myself. 
In all actuality, I was miserable and destroying myself for a peace of mind I never received. In 2018, I grew very tired. Tired of fighting a mind that wanted relief from the constant self-deprecation and depression. I've been known to be a bit of a perfectionist in some areas in my life, like just a little bit. <laughs> and when setbacks would come as a result of the mental struggles I was having, I viewed them as being indicative of the hopelessness and futility of my existence. The thought of letting go seemed peaceful. Death seemed preferable. Later that spring, I attempted to take my own life. During my two-week stay at Prairie St. John's, the emotion that is most easily recalled is anger. Ang I was angry at my parents for intervening. I was angry at God, for I had prayed for the first time in a long time that night that he would take me from this earth. That initial psychiatric admission would be the first of many, eventually earning me the title of the revolving door patient. Between that time and Christmas of 2019, my eating disorder would land me in multiple inpatient and residential programs. After every discharge, I'd pretend to have everything under control in an attempt to gain some of my family's trust back, only to be back at square one shortly thereafter. With arguments at the dinner table, secretive and compulsive behaviors, and the obvious lack of regard for my personal well-being, took control of not just my life, but my family members' lives as well. At 20 years old, I, felt my, I found myself at rock bottom once again. I remember Christmas Eve that year. It was rather different than the ones I had as a child. That holiday season was far from merry and joyous and was rather quite the opposite. Christmas Eve was spent panicking about the family meal I once looked forward to as a child, and I was unable to find any reason for celebration. That night as my family sat around the Christmas tree, the only gift I remember opening was a big pink suitcase that I had picked out the week prior. That reason being that um, I would be leaving for yet another treatment stay um, in a couple of days. I remember taking the suitcase upstairs where my mom came and sat with me in my childhood bedroom. She asked me if I was ready to give recovery one more try and reminded me that I couldn't keep living like this, that I needed to change my ways. I responded with a lifeless, yeah, but only in hopes of ending the conversation. What my family, friends, and providers didn't know was that I was anticipating this would be my last Christmas. The listless suffering that came with each day was unbearable. The ways in which I grasped for the control I so desperately wanted became the very thing that had complete control over me. The days were predictable. All my time was spent in a doctor's office, learning but not caring of the ways I was um, causing harm to my health, counting calories, fighting with anyone who tried to intervene, and seeking out new ways to hide the internal pain. I no longer had the energy to fight, nor did I care to. The only time I would talk to God was when I cried in bed at night. The mental agony accompanied by the stomach pain, heart palpitations, bruises that wouldn't heal, constant goosebumps from never being warm, hair falling out, and bones that hurt when I tried to sleep at night became the nightmare I didn't think I was capable of escaping. I begged and pleaded with God to take it all away, 
only to be disappointed when I'd wake up the next morning. I stopped eating in the days between Christmas and leaving for treatment, believing I didn't deserve help because I wasn't sick enough. My determination to leave the earth persisted once I got to the inpatient center. My refusal to eat anything or drink water led to a rapid decline. I was frequently transported to a local hospital due to dehydration and starvation. My team voiced their concerns and gave ultimatums, but I dug my feet in and fought them at every turn. Late one night in the middle of January, the night shift nurse and CNA stood in the doorway of my room, talking about me while I pretended to be asleep. The words, let's hope there's a God because he's the only one who can save this kid now, were said before the CNA came to pray over me. The irritation inside me continued to grow as I was left wondering why no one seemed to comprehend the fact that I did not want to be saved. By the next afternoon, I was being taken to the emergency room once again for low blood sugar and my refusal to take the glucose tablets. Upon arrival to the ER, my labs were done as per standard procedure. It was when they were repeated over and over and over again that I started to gather something wasn't quite right. The doctor finally came in to inform me that I would not be leaving that day and stated that he didn't know how I was still here. That it was a miracle considering the amount of critical low lab values that were present. The connection between what had been said the night prior and the conversation with that doctor planted a seed. Maybe God was closer than I thought. Maybe this was him telling me to get back up one more time. So I didn't accidentally pull out the next IV they put in. That being said, however, um, I was recently gifted a book from my father um, about how to care for houseplants, kind of like a houseplants for dummies kind of book, because I'm notorious at killing them. Um, after I sent a meme in our family group chat that read, did I kill a plant or did the plant not have what it takes to thrive in this fast-paced environment? In a way, that's precisely what happened with the seed that had been planted that night in the hospital. It was watered once and forgotten about. My desire to go just a little bit further was back in full force when I returned to the inpatient unit. Any small amount I had, of, any small amount of hope I had during those days was quickly fleeting. By the middle of January, the decision was made that I was not stable enough, stable enough to stay at the treatment center. The bottom of my discharge papers stated, patient's overall condition at discharge is deteriorated. Her prognosis is poor. Her commitment to recovery appears none. I was transferred to a hospital in Denver known for being the only medical intensive care unit specifically for patients with extreme forms of eating disorders and severe malnutrition who are experiencing life-threatening medical complications and require immediate treatment for survival and recovery. After nearly three weeks of refusing to eat, a feeding tube was placed and it was made clear that I was no longer calling the shots. I stayed there for a couple weeks before returning to the inpatient unit. After months of being on bed or couch rest, I made the decision that I needed to just get home. I didn't care how, I just needed to go home. Um, there came a day when my psychiatrist interrupted my pessimistic bantering to point out the fact 
that I had never given my chance, myself a chance to get better. She noted how at every opportunity given for recovery, I turned to self-sabotage or avoidance. I didn't do anything with that at the time, but it stuck with me until I was ready. After seven months in what was meant to be a 45-day program, us overachievers, <laughs> um, I finally got to go home. Adjusting to life at home in the middle of a pandemic I had little to no information about did not come easily. I was determined, however, to gain some of that trust back I talked about earlier. And so I found myself walking up the stairs of, these church, of this church one Thursday night for Celebrate Recovery. After years of gentle nudges to get back to the place where I once found peace as a child, I gave it a shot. If you would have asked me three years ago, I never would have believed that I'd be where I am today. It's because of the connections I, may, I was able to make in this place, the abundance of outpouring love and understanding that allowed me to grow spiritually. After years of being closed off to God, I began letting him in my heart again. That's not to say I didn't struggle any longer. However, as 2020 went on, I began relapsing once again. The difference this time, however, was that I had a new foundation on which I could get back up onto. The encouragement and accountability I received from people I had formed trusted relationships with here, along with the knowledge that God has a bigger plan for my life, allowed me to find the strength to fight I had never found before. I continued to show up, knowing that I didn't need to pretend to be okay. I discovered that the ways I had learned to survive are not the ways God wanted me to continue living. It was during these times that I had considerable, that considerable change occurred. If I've learned anything in my time here, it's as Dale stated earlier, that what God has done for me, he can do for you as well. 2 Corinthians 9.15 reads, Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Today, I give thanks for each that each of us in this room was given the gift of new life through Jesus. Without him, many of us might not be in this position today. For I know that without the gift of Jesus and the love, compassion, and forgiveness he provides, I would not be standing here. It is stated in John 3:16 through 17 that this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That, to me, is the definition of a gift too wonderful for words. This year, preparing for Christmas has included a lot of self-reflection and gratitude. I am incredibly grateful for the way God keeps his promises to us, just as he did some 2,000 years ago. This Christmas, I am focusing on engagement rather than involvement rather than avoidance, which I cannot take credit for. That was my therapist's idea. Um, uh, for so long, I focused on the stress that accompanies Christmas, and I missed out on the reasons for celebration. This year, I am trying to do a better job at being intentional in the ways I spend this time, often reminding myself um, that the gifts of light and love can make a greater impact on someone's life than any material store-bought gift ever could. 
I am reminded of the unending gifts God provides us with each day through the birth of Jesus. This year, I am grateful for new life that we have all received through the birth and death of Jesus alone. Though some days I wish I could rewrite the past to click an undo button, if you will, I am reminded that without the things I went through, my relationship with Jesus likely wouldn't be the way it is today. Healing after years of pain has brought my family closer together and has allowed me to form deeper connections with others that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. It's because of God's love for humankind that I have hope for the future, something I can assume many of us have a shared experience with. To add to that, would you all join me in uh, opening up to Romans 8, 38 through 39. This can be found on page 941 in the Church Bible or page 1,442 in the Recovery Bibles. Romans 8, 38 through 39 reads, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, now everyone turn to your neighbor and remind them that they are worthy of God's love. If you are someone who struggles with this time of the year like I occasionally do, I hope that you're able to find comfort in knowing that God will carry each one of us through it and that nothing we might be going through will keep us from wanting to share the love and light of Jesus. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated for just one second. Um, thank you again, Claire, for your uh, willingness to share and your transparency. Um, so my hope is, um, you know, after Claire and after um, Tony and Aaron the last couple of weeks, um, that um, we can say this, that if, if this is a season, if this is a time right now in your life when you are struggling, um, let this be a motivation for you to tell somebody. Um, it all starts with telling somebody. And so that would be my encouragement for you. If you aren't in a place of struggle right now, praise the Lord, right? Um, that's good. Let's all of us make a commitment to be more open to the people in our life and in our circle who are struggling and realize that, that uh, the depth of the struggle um, is much deeper than we really often realize. Um, God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today.